Welcome to Aging Better in Uncertain Times. I'm Gord Martineau, in studio, alongside Dr. Fabio Varlese. Here, we help you keep informed and up-to-date on the latest in science, medicine, and technology that helps us all age better in these uncertain times. It's not only about blood flow, it's about all the cardiovascular risk factors. So not having diabetes, maintaining normal blood sugars, not, not smoking, um, exercise, uh, controlling your blood pressure, all of these things are critically important to uh, maintaining good brain health uh, later in life. Thank you for joining us on our weekly guide into living a better, healthier life so we can all experience aging better in these uncertain times. Throughout this series, we're going to examine the best ways to prepare ourselves for the future. So what's the best advice for our overall health? We're going to look at every aspect affecting your life, and that means physical, mental, financial, nutritional, and medical. We'll cover all the bases. To do that, we'll supply you with high-value information from the leading experts in each field. And by that, I don't mean just everyday opinions. We will introduce you to the leading experts in each field, men and women who have studied, worked, and who teach at the highest levels. You have the questions. We have the answers. Joining me in the studio now, Dr. Fabio Varlesi, a specialist in internal medicine and geriatric medicine. He's the Vice President of Medical Affairs and Chief of Staff at Runnymede Hospital, Staff Specialist at Baycrest Health Sciences, and Dr. Varlesi is also the Assistant Professor at the University of Toronto. So we're talking about brain health in this episode, and it's a big one for, obviously, for aging Canadians. It's so important that they they take proper precautions, both physically and, and mentally, to prepare themselves for the fact that, you know, their their cognitive factors are going to have to deteriorate at some point. The question is, how do they deal with that? That's such a, an important question that people ask themselves every day, and they look at their aging parents or their aging grandparents, and they, they have a lot of fear. And, uh, um, you know, and people know the, the word Alzheimer's disease, and, you know, it's a complex disease uh, with multiple risk factors. Uh, some of them are not uh, modifiable uh, outside of your control, like age and genetics. But the truth of the matter is, is that there's a, there's a whole set of lifestyle pearls of wisdom uh, that uh, come into play where uh, we can have a sense of um, control uh, on, uh, on this. And, you know, whether it's, you know, the usual regular exercise, the social engagement, being active, being engaged with the community, um, healthy diet, we hear about that all the time, uh, being stimulated uh, from a cognitive perspective. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, delaying the retirement age, for mm -hmm. example, and there's uh, benefits um, that are not just financial sometimes, but also uh, from the, the point of view of uh, cognition. And other things like quality of sleep and the way you manage stress. And we talk about a lot of, uh, you know, mindfulness practices and meditation, uh, uh, et cetera. It's not just the medical things. As clinicians, we also look at uh, the vascular risk factors of patients, and we try to modify them, manage them, et cetera. But there is hope uh, when it comes to what we mm -hmm. can control. And I'm really looking forward to hearing some of our uh, guests. It's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're one of the experts that we rely on. We have two more with us today. We told you we'd have the experts, and we have two of them with us today. We have Dr. Allison Sekuler. She is the Managing Director of the Center for Aging and Brain Health Innovation. 
Uh, she's also the vice president of uh, research and uh, the Sandra Rotman Chair in Cognitive Neuroscience at Baycrest Health Sciences. And also with us today, we have, as a guest, Dr. Robert Madden. He's currently the Psychiatrist-in-Chief Executive Medical Director for the Canadian uh, Mental Health and the Medical Program, uh, Director for the Psychiatric Day Hospital at Baycrest. So welcome to both of you. Thanks very much for taking the time to join us today. Allison, I'll begin with you, if I may. Um, what kind of things can normal Canadians do? I mean, you know, we're going to be talking in lay terms today to uh, ward off or at least delay the onset of cognitive uh, disabilities. Yeah, I think Fabio mentioned a whole bunch of those different areas there. Mm -hmm. Things like, you know, make sure you're getting the right amount of sleep, make sure you're eating healthy, make sure you're um, staying socially engaged and cognitive engaged. I, I, we, we'd like to think of the brain as a muscle. Yep. You know, and, and the more you exercise it, the more it stays fit. And if you stop doing your exercises, it starts to weaken. Uh, so whatever you can do to kind of make sure that your brain is staying active and your, your body is staying active, those are the kinds of things that are also going to help you stay cognitively fit and, and help to delay the onset of Alzheimer's and related dementias as much as possible. I, I think the other thing to keep in mind is, is that the brain – we think of it as a sort of a novelty seeking device. It's always looking for something new. If you keep doing the same thing over and over, yeah. it's not gonna be as helpful. Like if you're going to the gym, you just do the same exercises over and over, you'll get stronger at first and then it'll start to wane. So, so, trying so to if try you're looking for new ways of doing things, that, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, it may stimulate your creativity and, and increase yeah. your brain power? Yeah, I mean, I mean so for example, I, I started at the age of I think 52 mm -hmm. drumming which I think is probably if everyone could start drumming, we would have a much healthier <laughs> world because drumming helps with your timing, which is really important for social interaction. It also helps. Neighbors. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a huge <laughs> amount of exercise. You're also multitasking. You've got to have one arm doing one thing while one leg is doing something else. And you're, mm. you're constantly pushing yourself to try new things. So, you know, if, if I can pick up drumming at the age of 50 and I'm in a band now, then anyone can do anything, I think. Dr. Madden, uh, there's a, obviously a direct correlation to physical health and mental health. I mean, if you're, the body is healthy, chances are the mind will be uh, healthy as well, provided you're taking care of it in, in the right form of exercises, as Allison suggested. Yeah, there's, there's uh, certainly some evidence that, that exercise can be a, a treatment for uh, depression, uh, you know, mild depression. Um, we see the benefits of exercise. Uh, there's an interesting relationship between the cardiovascular health and brain health. And as uh, older adults uh, uh, progress through life, uh, there are changes in the brain that could occur because mm -hmm. of blood vessel disease in the brain. And it ends up that whatever is good for your heart is good for your brain. Yeah. So uh, obviously avoiding uh, obesity, smoking, diabetes, hypertension, all of those things are, are good for brain health as well as your cardiovascular health. Yes. And uh, there's, there's even association with, um, um, you know, blood vessel disease in the brain and developing depression in late life, even if you've never had depression before. So mm -hmm. exercise is obviously one of these things that could be a, you know, a modifiable risk factor. You, you could, you could exercise, you could take care of yourself in whatever way possible to reduce your cardiovascular risk factors. It's, they call them cerebrovascular risk factors mm -hmm. to potentially offset the risk of even developing late life depression. So if you're exercising a lot, cardiovascular health uh, being the focus, then your blood flow 
will increase to all parts of the body, including the brain. Is that what you're driving at? If the blood flow is more uh, predominant in, in your brain, then chances are you're going to get along a lot better? Well, that's part. That's partly it. Uh, but the the other thing is, uh, you know, there's there's this, this risk of what they call silent stroke uh, as you get older. And if you just look at uh, brain images of older adults, there, there are these little dots that represent silent strokes. Mm. And you want to avoid that as much as possible because those are often related to late life uh, depression mm. and uh, memory loss. Uh, so, so that it's not only about blood flow, it's about all the cardiovascular risk factors. So not having diabetes, maintaining normal blood sugars, not, not smoking, um, exercise, uh, controlling your blood pressure, all of these things are critically important to uh, maintaining good brain health uh, later in life. Reducing inflammation, anything you can do to keep your inflammation down. How do you do that? Is also, is also a good thing. How do you do that? Uh, well, it turns out things like stress actually can can lead to increased inflammation, mm. uh, and you know, so some some of these sorts of factors that Rob is talking about are also linked to inflammation, and you know, so there, whatever you can do to just remain decrease your stress is actually in some cases also going to be decreasing your inflammation. And you know, there's some, there's some evidence, for example, that loneliness, I mean, Rob's mentioned depression and, and yeah. uh, those sorts of things a lot, but loneliness actually is a risk factor for Alzheimer's as well. You bring and up an interesting point, Allison, because, you know, we're told that in, in this age of COVID-19 that we mm -hmm. have to shelter in place. But we're also yeah. told as aging Canadians that we must socialize. So, there's no easy answer to that. Yeah, and in fact, the recent studies have shown with COVID, with the isolation that, that, that's been required, more and more older folks are reporting to be lonely than ever yeah. before. And if you have a, a high loneliness score compared to a low loneliness score, it increases your risk of developing Alzheimer's by about a factor of two. Mm. So even if you can stay active by connecting with people on the phone or connecting via Zoom or other sorts of video conferencing, FaceTime, any kind of interaction you can have is gonna, is gonna be really helpful. And, and some of the things Rob mentioned before and Fabio mentioned, mindfulness exercises are also shown to be able to potentially reduce your stress and reduce your loneliness as well. So Allison, the, the technological aspect uh, circles back to the brain activity. I mean, if you're introducing new technology to someone who is getting on in years, and you know you get them into it as it were then that's going to force the brain to go into action isn't it yeah they're learning new things when they're learning to use technology in new ways for sure and and also it opens up all of these doors for areas of exploration that they wouldn't necessarily have before i mean so for example if you can get on a computer at your home then you can log on to cognicity uh, see, which is a, a brain tracking, a brain testing and a brain tracking uh, system and has all sorts of courses. And, and, you know, we've also got things like Baycrest at Home, where you can do remote ballet classes in your living room. Mm -hmm. If you can get onto if you can get onto the, the Internet, uh, you know, with an iPad, even or a phone there. Yeah. So it, it opens up all of these doors for you. And we've even seen people with advanced dementia benefit from technology, because in the early days of the shutdowns, when in long-term care homes, visitors were not allowed in. You can imagine the isolation of the individuals living mm. with dementia in these long-term care homes. I mean, it was really, it was really very sad for everybody, and and the loneliness factor there was huge because they really depended on having visitors. So our innovation team sort of came right into action and developed a system to do virtual visits with people 
And they, they had more visits in some ways than they did when they were in person because they could visit anyone in the world anytime. And when you're talking about isolation, and so if they couldn't communicate with their family members or at least, you know, talk to them in the same room sort of thing, then the issue of communication then falls on the first responders, doesn't it? The people who are directly taking care of them. And that puts kind of an extra burden on them, don't you think? On the caregivers, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's really interesting because people who are caring for individuals living with Alzheimer's or related dementias are actually more likely to develop dementia themselves. And it's not because it's contagious. It's because of all of these added pressures and stress and, and the other factors. Mm. They're more at risk for those now because of the situation of caring for someone. So, Dr. Madden, uh, obviously, that a reduction in cognitive behavior is, is, is a scary experience. So when the body is in good shape or not in good shape, you, you can rectify that. But when it comes to the mind and it begins a downward spiral, there's no coming back from that, is there? Yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that there's no cure for Alzheimer's disease. Uh, despite uh, decades of research and, and very good research, trying to find ways to, uh, you know, intervene in the cascade of things that result in the, the brain pathology that happens. Uh, there's no cure. Um, there's, there's care. Uh, there's some medications to try and slow down the progress of the illness. Uh, if you have, um, you know, and there's, there's a difference between having um, memory concerns. Uh, we call that subjective memory loss, where you feel like there's something wrong versus a documented uh, what they call mild cognitive impairment, where you can still function, but but there is something going on. And then there's the full-on uh, uh, neurocognitive disorder or dementia. Mm -hmm. If you're in that phase of having some mild impairment where you can still function, you are at risk. You are at risk of developing dementia. And, and there's a big focus now in research about identifying who's most at risk and how to modify things to reduce your risk. But unfortunately, there's no cure. And the medications haven't really, um, uh, they don't change the, the overall trajectory of the illness. You eventually get worse. It's, a, it's an illness where things progress, it's degenerative, you de it deteriorates over time. It just puts the brakes on the, the, the disease slowly on average. Yeah. So There's anything that we can do to try and slow, like to reduce the risk or slow down the progression is worthwhile right now. Allison, is it daunting in your work to hear well, you, you know, you obviously know the, the situation, but to hear what Dr. Madden is saying about, you know, there's no going back and they, you might be able to slow it down, but there is no cure. Um, at the end of the day, does that bother you a little bit or, or depress you even to a tiny extent? Well, certainly, but but I think, you know, when one door opens, another one door closes, another opens, right? Mm -hmm. And so there the shift has been really extraordinary in terms of seeing people moving from trying to focus on how do you cure somebody who already has dementia to how do you prevent it in the first place and how do you detect it as early as possible so that you can put the right interventions in place. So a lot of the research focus that's going on in the Alzheimer's and dementia world right now is on this prevention side of things and the early detection. There's, of course, still drug work that's going on for, for treating yeah. and other aspects of treatment, but we're trying to figure out how do you detect it before you even see the symptoms of cognitive decline. So in my lab, for example, we're using uh, visual tests, simple visual tests that we think may be early markers of dementia and cognitive decline. And there are companies out there like ReadySpec, which is a Toronto company, which is uh, developing an eye scan that can tell you years in advance 
when you're sort of headed down that path, and then you might be able to put the right kind of interventions in place. And similarly, other groups, um, like Darmian out of California has developed a system that they think using MRI scans can tell you well in advance when you're headed toward that path. So the earlier you can tell that someone is at risk and headed down one path or another, whether it's, people have to recognize dementia is not just Alzheimer's, there's also frontotemporal dementia and there's Lewy body and other, other types. As soon as you can tell which direction someone is headed and that they're headed in that direction, you could potentially put interventions in place to slow the progression, even if you can't prevent it outright. When you say slow the progression, I mean, there's no finite number, no specific number that, oh, yeah, I can delay the onset of that by five years. But is, there, is it significant enough of a delay? Yeah, I mean, even something like learning a second language, research from Baycrest and York and other places has shown that people who are bilingual have slowed decline. Uh, in in their cognitive function compared to people who are monolingual. Mm. So if you can gain it, you know, several more years of healthy cognitive function, that's a good thing. And if you can slow the progression of dementia by just five years, we would decrease the overall amount of dementia in the world by like 50%. No so kidding. it makes a huge impact, that's not just enormous. on the lives, but the whole healthcare system. Some final thoughts now with Dr. Varlese's prescription to aging better. So, Dr. Verlese, we learned today that there are ways to kind of, you know, delay the onset of cognitive uh, uh, disabilities, but also that all is not lost. I mean, people shouldn't panic if they forget, uh, you know, where they left their car keys or, uh, you know, everyday items that, you know, this is part of the natural process of aging, correct? It is. Um, whenever that happens, uh, we've heard it from our guests, uh, it's crucial to seek medical attention. Mm-hmm. And um, as Dr. Madden mentioned, uh, there's no doubt that uh, a thorough medical workup um, is very comprehensive. It looks, at, it looks at various aspects. It looks at what medications you're on, um, your lifestyle habits, your risk factors. It looks at... Um, you know, uh, seeing whether or not there's any brain um, uh, abnormalities that could be contributing. Uh, Many times we find that uh, the causes could also be reversible. Um, But more importantly, what we have learned today is is that we must focus focus on those um, lifestyle modifications that help delay the onset mm-hmm. um, and and this also has an impact on uh, the incidence um, of the condition so um, it's really important to uh, get creative about this um, um, get creative with your day-to-day living and be engaged um, um, you heard it learn a new language um, um, participate in activities uh, with the community. Um, And by all means, get a flu shot because there's absolutely no connection between a flu shot and dementia. No questions asked. uh, Must always protect ourselves. And as we wrap up today, please, folks, get a flu shot. The information is at myfluShot.ca. Questions about Aging Better can be emailed to info at agingbetter.ca or by visiting our website at agingbetter.ca. Aging Better in Uncertain Times, brought to you by Delos, Runnymede Health, Jewel 88.5, L'Oreal, La Roche-Posay, Vichy, Avicana, and Sanofi Pasteur, in part through an educational grant. 
Be sure to drop in for your next doctor's visit on Jewel 88.5, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. or at Jewel885.com. Until next time, I'm Gord Martineau with Dr. Fabio Varlese, along with producers Dominic Shulo and David Sirsta. Be well and stay safe.